Quackcast, the Revenant edition. This is number 217, Some Sepsis Stuff. References are available at Science-Based Medicine from the October 20th, 2022 blog entry of the same name. Sepsis. Bad stuff. Sepsis is when an infection, or occasionally other medical conditions, set off a cascade of -of out-of-control inflammation, damaging or destroying any number of organs and often leading to death. As I said, bad stuff. Sepsis, in all its manifestations, has been one of the mainstays of my infectious disease practice. Sepsis can be transient and respond rapidly to antibiotics and modern ICU supportive care. It can also be a relentless crash and burn, a rapid and uncontrolled spiral into death. I have seen a few young meningococcal patients, for example, who were fine at breakfast and dead by dinner. Bad stuff. For whatever reason, patients have recently been made aware of the concept of sepsis. For the past few years, it has not been unusual to have been asked by families if their family member was septic. We have improved the management of sepsis over the years, mostly as we are better and more aggressive at supporting failing organs. But the basic approach has been the same for the 36 years I have been in infectious diseases. Antibiotics, supportive care, and a helping of good luck. Why some die and some survive is often a mystery. There is always variation in both the infecting organism and the host. For example, all E. coli are not the same, with different strains infecting identical mice resulting in different mortality rates. Conversely, the same E. coli strain will have different mortality rates in different strains of inbred mice. There are innumerable variations in the immune system that increase or decrease the risk of acquiring or dying from a variety of infections. My personal favorite is how variations in snot can increase the risk for meningococcal disease. As the bard said, the sepsis, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. I will be long retired, three months, nine days, two hours, 11 minutes as I write this, but who is counting, before we can scan the genome of a patient with a tricorder and point to the polymorphism that increase or decrease the chance of infection or death. Vitamin C. Every once in a while, a patient does survive sepsis who really should not have. It always fries my bacon when the family credits God with the save. They have no idea the work and training the ICU team has accomplished to produce the miracle. Give credit where credit is due. One of the few advantages of being an old geezer is I have been around long enough to see many an adjunct of therapy come and go for sepsis. Zygris and steroids and others. It is common in the ICU, perhaps more often processes in which our interventions often fail and death is common, for doctors to glom on to therapies that appear to work in initial suboptimal trials. I have referred to this in the past as medical cold fusion, an effect that makes little sense, if any, when compared to known reality. What then follows is a flurry of explanations of how the effect could be the real deal. Some enthusiastic embracing of the intervention, slow discouragement, finally ending in better clinical trials that show, nope, the intervention didn't do anything at all. Sherman set the Wayback Machine to March 31st, 2017. And you will find the first entry of my series of SBM blogging, 
vitamin C and sepsis, all sound and fury, much ado about nothing. At the time, I was, for lack of a better word, skeptical. Me? Hardly. That intravenous vitamin C and thiamine was actually effective in decreasing mortality in sepsis. But as I noted at the time, quote, never go in against vitamin C when death is on the line. So the study was grudgingly embraced by our intensivists for a while. You could not really tell at the time if intervention made any impact whatsoever on outcomes. It did, however, drive up the price of both IV vitamin C and thiamine. A lot. And then there were more clinical trials. What had been impressive in the first study that raised all the brouhaha <laughs> was the decrease in mortality in the vitamin C thiamine study that I evaluated in the last decade. Mortality went from 40% to 8.5%. I mean, wow, that seemed too good to be true. And you know what follows that statement. Was that result replicated? Of course not. Based on 11 clinical trials, quote, in this meta-analysis, the use of IV high-dose vitamin C in patients with sepsis was not lower short-term mortality. And, quote, a total of 17 studies, including 3,133 patients, fulfilled the predefined criteria and were analyzed. Pooled analysis indicated no mortality reduction in patients treated with vitamin C when compared to reference. So, another one bites the dust. Never did much care for Queen. There were a few minor potential beneficial effects, which often show up in these studies. And they are likely meaningless. The usual background noise seen in complex medical studies that look promising in subgroup analysis or secondary endpoints. Positive subgroup analyses are usually crap. Quote, although it was associated with a significantly shorter duration of vasopressor use and a greater decline in the sequential organ failure assessment score at 72 to 96 hours. And quote, Subgroup analysis revealed an improved survival if vitamin C was applied for three to four days. Subgroup analysis is a Latin term used by statisticians and means likely bullshit. Subgroup analyses invariably lead to nothing in later studies. I long ago learned to ignore subgroup analyses. It was noted that, quote, interestingly, six studies reported no adverse events related to the intervention, while three studies documented more frequent adverse events in patients treated with intravenous vitamin C, hypernatremia, hospital-acquired infections, hyperglycemia, gastrointestinal bleeding, and fluid overload. Interesting? No, just the usual noise of clinical trials. Perhaps more interesting was the New England Journal of Medicine trial published after the above meta-analyses. Quote, In adults with sepsis receiving vasopressor therapy in the ICU, those who received an intravenous vitamin C had a higher risk of death or persistent organ dysfunction at 28 days than those who received placebo. Oops! The numbers at day 28 44.5% in the vitamin C group had died or had persistent organ dysfunction compared to 38.5% in the placebo group, the P being 0.01. I have been convinced that a P needs to be at least 0.005 and perhaps 
0.001 to represent a real effect. So really, when taken as a whole, vitamin C was no different than placebo. All the effects, good and bad, noted in these trials, I would bet, are just noise. As always, sound and fury signifying nothing. I mean, they didn't even bother to collect information regarding specific pathogens and the appropriateness of antimicrobial therapy. And that is a finding across all the studies that I could hunt down. No one cared about the microbiology, the source of infection, the host. For example, while transplant patients may have more bacteremias, they probably die less often. Or the appropriateness of antibiotics, all of which make differences in outcomes. From the perspective of infectious disease doctors, it renders all the studies of marginal applicability. Not all sepsis is the same, a concept apparently only an infectious disease doc cares about. Perhaps why every study has demonstrated that infectious disease involvement with infections of all kinds, including sepsis, improves outcomes, less morbidity and mortality. Odd, isn't it, how having someone who actually knows what they are doing improves care? Of course, most of these studies were done by self-serving infectious disease doctors. So, go to Midas, get a muffler. But it probably doesn't matter. Vitamin C has a long history of no practical benefit outside of scurvy and increasing the absorption of oral iron. Because there's no reason it should. And now, add sepsis to that list. NRLM. As I mentioned before, having healthcare providers who know what they are doing improves care. Eh, what a concept. But it makes me wonder how the opposite end of the spectrum impacts healthcare. Not just knowing nothing about a disease, but having your medical approach based upon the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. NRLM. That can't be good. Great Britain at one time, had five homeopathic hospitals, one as recently as 2018. I cannot tell from the interwebs if these institutions operated like real hospitals or not. Quote, the Bristol Homeopathic Hospital continued to provide a full range of services, whatever those services might cover. I can't imagine presenting at a homeopathic hospital with sepsis, where all they had to offer is literally nothing. No one would rely solely on homeopathy for sepsis, or so one would hope. But homeopathy has been used for adjunctive therapy with no benefit. Much to my surprise, I discussed homeopathy and sepsis way back in 2009. The things I have done for which I have no memory. Amazing. Despite being, quote, excellent piece of work on the role of homeopathy in critically ill patients, end quote, at least according to a homeopath, there has been little research since I first did that blog entry. Part of the problem is the inability of septic patients to provide the bizarrely detailed and pointless history that guides the selection of homeopathic nostrums. Fear not, there is now, in caps, quote, the protocol for objective homeopathic semiology for patients with altered state of consciousness. The protocol is available online, but I will confess, after reading the paper upon which it is based, I don't have any clue as how one would apply it. The author's website is in Portuguese and has no explanation that I can find. Quote, seeking the actual characteristic symptomatic totality with the hierarchization of homeopathic symptoms, end quote, is, I fear, 
beyond my feeble brain. The author goes on to demonstrate how the protocol was applied to a series, three, of septic patients. Quote, The choice of patients for homeopathic intervention was based upon recognition that they were not responding satisfactorily to conventional treatment as judged by the attending ICU medical team. And they gave homeopathy? I would hate to wake up on a ventilator and having a doctor staring down at me who thought homeopathy would be a good idea. But what followed was the application of five drops of either a 30C or 200C homeopathic nostrum. The three patients? One had a perforated gastric ulcer. One was a meningococcemia, and the third was a pneumonia, all of whom survived. And their conclusion, quote, the practice of homeopathy may effectively be extended beyond treating chronic cases towards the less familiar but highly important frontiers on the verge of life and death. They actually thought homeopathy added to the care of septic patients. I really do keep wondering why the practice of homeopathy is not considered a DSM-4 delusional illness. The nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind indeed. Acupuncture. Quote, Acupuncture has been used for various diseases, including severe infection, in China for more than 2,000 years. And that is true. There are multiple reports of infection and sepsis caused by acupuncture. Oh, wait. This is acupuncture to treat infection and sepsis. Oh, that's very different. Never mind. Poor Gilda. Her Patty Smith imitation was so hilarious. Anyway, supposedly, quote, previous studies reported that acupuncture at the Zoo Sandley, ST36, might be effective in treating sepsis. That point is just below the knee and lateral. It is quite the point, stimulation of which has wide-ranging effects besides treating sepsis. In animal models, quote, acupuncture at ST36 could be useful in reducing sepsis-induced injuries in heat, lung, kidney, liver, gastrointestinal tract, and immune system. Moreover, its potential mechanisms for antisepsis might include decreasing oxidative stress and inflammation, improving microcirculatory disturbance, and maintaining the immune balance during sepsis. I mean, wow, truly the wonder drug that works wonders. Despite the fact, quote, poor methodological quality and publication bias exists. <sighs> Jeez, what a surprise. But how about in humans? And here we have a problem. I cannot access most of the original data from the review, Efficacy and Safety of Acupuncture as a Complementary Therapy for Sepsis, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis that purports to show a mortality benefit by adding acupuncture to standard care. All of the studies are from China and in Chinese. And because of their poor track record of having honest studies, any study that comes out of China is unfortunately suspect. As is always the case, multiple forms of acupuncture were included in the review, so there's no one acupuncture intervention that worked. It is the concept of acupuncture that is allegedly effective. The same issue, by the way, was in the meta-analysis that demonstrated decreased mortality in sepsis with traditional Chinese pseudomedicine. Each trial in the series had a different treatment intervention, but the collected data showed, quote, 
addition of TCM was better effects in participants with sepsis. Yeah, that's what they said. It does not matter to the specific form of traditional Chinese pseudomedicine. And I find that so weird that these meta-analyses include very different interventions as if they were all the same. Meta-analysis was supposed to compare apples to apples, not dog shit to cow pies. And for acupuncture trials, quote, most included studies that had unclear risk or high risk of bias in allocation concealment and blinding of participants. In addition, most studies were mostly small sample single center RCTs. Say that three times really fast. Therefore, the degree of certainty around our findings is low to very low. My certainty is high to very high that acupuncture does nothing for any process, so why would it alter the course of something as complex and awful as sepsis? I went through the bibliography, seeing if I could glean much from the titles and abstracts. Nope. More than a few dead links. None of the articles appeared to be evaluating mortality as a primary outcome, mostly looking at lab parameters or effects on the gastrointestinal tract. Studies such as, quote, electroacupuncture improves intestinal dysfunction in septic patients, a randomized controlled trial, which found, quote, however, there were no significant differences in the days on MV, length of stay in the ICU, and 28-day mortality between the two groups. And Yang et al., noted in the references, demonstrated that, quote, there is no significant difference of mortality in the 28th day between the two groups, with five deaths of 29 patients in the intervention group, 17%, and nine of 29 in the control group, 31%. Huh, double the mortality in the treatment group. But it wasn't statistically significant. I bet if the reverse had been true, double the mortality rate in the treatment group, there would have been much ado about nothing. But that study was not included in the mortality section of the meta-analysis, which is odd. So in the end, I can't make a detailed analysis of the meta-analyses, but that always begs the question, why bother to apply the concepts of reality to fiction? Because that's what we do here at the QuackCast. And that ends QuackCast number 217. As I mentioned, the references can be found over on the October 20th, 2022 Science-Based Medicine blog entry, Some Sepsis Stuff. See you next time. Bye.